0: We want to continue our uh, series on major messages from the minor prophets. Uh, We spent uh, some time last week in Hosea. We're we're trekking our way through. We're not doing an exegesis uh, so much as we're just hitting highlights of each of these uh, minor prophet works, trying to get a better understanding of the message that God is conveying through them. Uh, We have covered Obadiah, we have covered Joel, we have covered uh, Jonah, we have covered Hosea, uh, and tonight we want to look at Amos. And so I invite your attention please to Amos chapter 5. We're going to look starting at verses 14 and 15, and then we're going to skip over and, and really dig in on verses 18 through 27. What do we know about Amos? What do most people know about Amos? The, 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 if, if I were to ask you to tell me one thing that you know about Amos, most people would say, let justice run down like water and righteousness as a mighty stream. Because that's uh, the the most famous line that is contained within this brief work. And in fact, it's, it's contained within the passage that we're going to be looking at tonight. Uh, what you might not know about Amos is that Amos is in many ways a reluctant prophet. Uh, there, there were at the time uh, that Amos lived uh, what they called schools of prophets uh, where people sat under masters. This is, this is essentially what the disciples were to Jesus. Jesus, that's why they called him master and, and these disciples sat under him. Every great teacher, usually called rabbis, and you see in the New Testament some places where Jesus is referred to as rabbi. Every great teacher had students under them that that they called schools of of prophets. And and, uh, in the time of Amos, there were schools of prophets, people who sat under teachers because they wanted to learn how to do the work of prophecy, how to do the ministry of prophecy. Amos very famously says, I am not a prophet, neither am I a prophet's son, or more correctly translated, neither am I from a school of prophets. Th- this was not something that I wanted to do. This was not something that I desired to do. He said, I was a herdsman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. In other words, I was a farmer, and, and, and I was happy being a farmer. I didn't have any desire other than to be a farmer. And God called me. And God set me apart. And God gave this assignment to me. Don't think this is something I want to do. Don't think this is something that I take great joy in doing. This is something that God placed on me. That's important because it, it speaks to the level of commitment that Amos has not merely to prophetic work, but to God. And let me suggest that before you can be committed to any work, you have to be committed to the Lord. Be- be- before you can be committed to any church work, you have to be committed to the Lord. If, and, and I say this, and, and it's going to sound critical, and, and I guess in a certain way it is critical, but there are people who love their choir more than they love the Lord. They're people who love their Usher ministry more than they love the Lord. They're people who love whatever ministry they are a part of more than they love the church and more than they love the Lord. And if you fall into that category, and I know nobody in here falls into that category, if you let me let me rephrase. If you know somebody who falls into that category, let me suggest to you that you suggest to them that they've got it backwards. I can understand people who love to sing wanting the opportunity to sing but if you don't love the Lord more than you love singing you got it backwards let me bring it closer to my house if you don't love the Lord more than you love preaching now I know preachers who love to preach they don't particularly love the Lord I know them catch me on the wrong day, I'll call them by name. But, but, <laughs> but, 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 but I, I, I know them. They, they love to preach, but they don't really love the Lord. There are people who are great orators. There are people who are great communicators. And, and, and they enjoy the art, the interaction that goes along with that communication. And preaching is a unique communicative endeavor. Uh, Gardner C. Taylor calls it a clumsy art. He says you never quite get it Every time you think you got it figured out, a new monkey wrench pops up in it. But, but there are people who love to, to go through the process of preaching, but they don't really love the Lord. And if that's the case, then you're doing the wrong thing because you've got it backwards. If you don't love the Lord, it doesn't matter what else you do, and it really doesn't matter how well you do it. It's it's not right. Amos said, I was not a prophet. I was not a part of a school of prophets. This wasn't what I wanted to do. This wasn't my lifelong ambition. I was happy doing what I was doing. I was doing my farm work, and I was pleased doing the farm work that I was doing. The Lord called me. The Lord set me apart. The Lord told me this is what I want you to do. Why is it that Amos would, 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 would be so steadfast about the fact that this is not what he wanted to do? Because Amos's message is primarily one of judgment. So, so, so that leads me to the next point I want to make. It gives prophets, ministers, preachers, pastors, no joy to convey tough messages. There, 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 there is nothing pleasant about sharing tough truths. And yet, if it's what the Lord gave you to do, you are compelled to do it anyway. You are compelled to fulfill your responsibility. Amos was a minister, What was a farmer who lived in Judah. God called him from farming and sent him to the northern kingdom of Israel. And you have to understand, at the time that Amos went, Israel and Judah didn't have too much to do. They, they came from the same family, but they had gone through a civil war, much like our civil war, the north and the And the South, they had gone through a civil war. Only thing, our civil war ended up with with, with the union intact. Their civil war ended up with two kingdoms. The northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And to make sure that nobody ever went north to south or south to north, they drew a line. They built a wall. Sound familiar to anybody? (laughs) They built a wall to keep people from traveling from one land to the other. Before the Civil War, the capital of Israel was in Jerusalem. The temple was in Jerusalem. The king's palace was in Jerusalem. After the Civil War, those who were a part of the northern kingdom to make sure that uh, their dwellers, that their their, uh, citizens did not travel south to the temple, they built a wall and then they built their own temple in the north, and they said that you're going to worship up here. You're not going to worship down there. You make your sacrifices up here, not down there. That's the kind of environment that Amos was called into at the time. Thank you, Miss Katina. Would you please turn on the air? These people are dying in here. Uh, 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 That's the kind of environment to which Amos was called, and he got no pleasure out of being a southerner traveling north to tell the folk in the north that god is not pleased with you in the same way if you sincerely love the lord you will do what the lord says but that doesn't mean that you always get pleasure out of what the lord tells you to do but we don't do this work because we derive pleasure from We do it because we want to be obedient to the Lord. When we jump into Amos chapter 5, as I said, we're not surveying the entire book. When we jump into Amos chapter 5, the passage blends two important aspects of our spirituality in order for us to receive the full benefit of our personal walk with God. Two things. Amos says, are important. One, there must be a sincere commitment to God, which is what discipleship is all about. And second, there must be loving treatment for our fellow man. Commitment to God, that's the vertical relationship. And then sincere love for your fellow man, that's the horizontal relationship. Our relationship our call as Christians is not a merely vertical call it's also a horizontal call and in fact Jesus says the horizontal call is not how you fulfill the horizontal call is indicative of how you really feel about the vertical call Jesus says if you love me keep my commandments and what's my command As I have loved you, so should you love one another. John writes in in his epistle, if you say that you love the Lord, whom you have not seen, but you don't love your neighbor, whom you see every day, you are a liar, and the truth is not in you. So, from, 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 from a spiritual standpoint, it's important that we blend our commitment to God to our right treatment of our fellow man. And when we do these things, then we are able to worship God as John tells us we should worship him in spirit and in truth. God is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Let me share with you a quote from a man named Ralph Martin who wrote a book entitled The Worship of God. Listen to this. God is holy, yet he seeks our communion. God is great, yet in some way he is enriched by our praise. God is love, yet he desires his love to be acknowledged and enjoyed and shared by us. We are presented with a momentous task. How can we offer to God a sacrifice that is pleasing before him? How can we aspire to be both solemn and glad in his presence since his holiness requires a due sense of awe and his grace frees us from anxious fears? That's an important question. It's a significant question because what it what what it speaks to is the fact that it is very, very, very difficult for us to live up to God's expectation of our worship of Him on our own. You know how hard it is. Every time I get to this point and I start quoting Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount, y'all get upset. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them that use you and persecute you. If a man strike you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If a man sues you for your coat, give him your cloak as well. If a man compels you to walk one mile, be willing to walk two. How am I going to do that? The answer is, You can't do it by yourself, but you can do it when you learn how to rely upon the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And so, to understand this, we must come to grips with three things, and then we're going to get into the verses. Three things I want you to to think about as we look at this. Number one, in the worship experience, and I'm not talking about church worship. I'm talking about in our worship of God. In the worship experience, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to liberate us from the confines of emotional introspection and oversensitive preoccupation with our feelings. What does all that mean? That means that in the worship experience, the work of the Holy Spirit is to get your mind off of you and get your mind onto God. Part of our problem is that we, we are sensitive. Somebody says something to us we don't like. Somebody does something to us that we don't like. We overhear something that's said about us that we don't like. We are sensitive. And then we feel the need to strike back at what someone has said or done to us. But when we worship the Lord, we are free from all of that. Isn't that what we sing? There, there was a song we used to sing. Talk about me just as much as you please. The more you talk, I'm going to bend my knees. I'm on my way up. I can't turn around. I'm on my way to higher. Y- y'all remember that song? I'm the only one who sang that song. Y'all sang that song, right? Did you mean it? Did you mean talk about me just as much as you please and it's all right? Because the more you talk, I'm going to stay on my knees, bend my knees. Some say stay on, some say bend, whichever way you put it. Did you mean that? That's right, Uh uh-uh. Didn't mean it. We we got our feeling, you don't know what they said about me. You don't know what they did to me. And you become preoccupied with that. And when that happens, it takes you away from the worship of God. But when you let the Holy Spirit be in charge, you're free from all of that. And you can say, talk as much as you want. I'm okay with it. Doesn't mean I like the fact that you talk about me, but it ain't gonna ruin my day either. And I'm... I'm not going to give you power over me. And that's what most of us do. Folk like to probe. Children say they like to troll. Folk like to troll. And they're they're looking for places in your psyche that they can push, that they can manipulate. And when you respond certain ways, they know they've hit the right spot. And when a person finds out that they've hit the right spot, you know what they're going to do? They're going to stomp on that thing. They're going to hit it and hit it and hit it and hit it and hit it. Why would you give somebody that kind of power over you? There's only one who who should have that kind of control over you. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. You're liberated from that when you take your mind off of yourself and put your mind on him. Second, our willingness to rely on the Holy Spirit should also cause us to want to offer our best to him. If we learn who God is, and if we learn truly how significant he is to our lives, then as a natural result, we ought to want to please him. And here's the thing. Pleasing God comes down to a simple thing. Will you do what I told you to do? If you're, you can't say on the one hand, I want to please God, and then say on the other, but I ain't going to do what he tells me to do. That doesn't work. And yet many of us say, well, I love the Lord, but... Ain't no buts behind I love the Lord. Or whatever comes after the but negates the I love the Lord part. So so, so we have to... We have to recognize that our love for him is made manifest in our desire to bring our best to him. Third... We need to recognize that the Holy Spirit cannot be manipulated. And we should not equate manipulation of individuals with the work of the Holy Spirit. God cannot be manipulated, and God doesn't want us to manipulate anybody else. Our responsibility in the worship experience, in in the worship of God, is to share him with others. Share him with our words, share him with our actions, share him with our thought processes, share him with our levels of commitment to the things that he has called us to. If people embrace it, so much the better. If people reject it, that's on them. But we don't have, it it is not our call to try to manipulate folk into doing things our way one of the greatest things in the world is when you learn that it's all right for folk to have their own mind about stuff and yet the bible teaches that all the time when jesus first sent out uh the 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 disciples and told them to go from place to place he told them when you go into a village you share the gospel with them if they receive the gospel great stay plant your flag spend some time there if they don't receive the gospel Shake the dust from your feet and move on. It's okay to move on. All y'all into the shaking the dust from your feet part. Y'all want to take off the, y'all just want to shake dust. It's not the shake the dust from your feet part that ought to have your attention. It's the move on part. Move to, there's somebody who needs what you have. And, and, and if this person doesn't recognize the need, somebody else is out there who does. That's what Amos is, is dealing with. He offers a word of judgment against God's chosen people. He accuses them of idolatry, and that idolatry has caused them to reject the word of God. But he also tells them that there is the opportunity for restoration. So look at Amos chapter 5. Look at verses 14 and 15. Seek good and not evil and live. You talk about God, the God of the angel armies, being your best friend. Well, live like it and maybe it will happen. Hate evil and love good. Then work it out in the public square. Maybe God, the God of the angel armies, will notice your remnant and be gracious. Now, in order to keep these words in their context, I invite you to look back at verses 7 through 13. Woe to you who turn justice to vinegar and stomp righteousness into the mud. Do you realize where you are? You're in a cosmos star-flung with constellations by God, a world God wakes up each morning and puts to bed each night. God dips water from the ocean and gives the land a drink. God, God revealed, does all this, and he can destroy it as easily as make it. He can turn this vast wonder into total waste. People hate this kind of talk. Raw truth is never popular. But here it is, bluntly spoken. Because you run roughshod over the poor and take the bread right out of their mouths, you're never going to move into the luxury homes you have built. You're never going to drink wine from the expensive vineyards you've planted. I know precisely the extent of your violations, the enormity of your sins. Appalling, you bully right living people, taking bribes right and left, and kicking the poor when they are down. Justice is a lost cause. Evil is epidemic. Decent people throw up their hands. Protest and rebuke are useless, a waste of breath. That leads into what he says in verse 14. Seek good and not evil, and live. You talk about god the god of the angel armies being your best friend well live like it and maybe it will happen hate evil and love good then work it out in the public square maybe god the god of the angel armies will notice your remnant and be gracious amos tells the people that they are guilty of hypocrisy in the name of the lord It's bad to be a hypocrite under any circumstances. But it's terrible to be a hypocrite in the name of the Lord. The level of their hypocrisy is great and and, and it's something that all of us should be aware of. It's powerful people taking advantage over weak people. It's wealthy people taking advantage over poor people. Do you think that this is just a 21st century phenomenon? It's as old as time. Go back to the earliest writings of Scripture. There has always been the dilemma of the strong trying to take advantage of the weak. What Amos says is so grievous about this is that all y'all claim... To be serving the Lord. Now, here's the dilemma. You don't want to change your behavior. You don't want to change your actions. You don't want to change the way that you think. What you want to do is wrap it up in a bowl, tie it nice and tight, and put God's name on it. And act like it's okay. Because because you said God said so. Well, you know, God said, the poor you'll have with you always. That does not relieve us of the responsibility of doing what we can to help the poor. I get tired of folk misusing the Bible. You ought to, too. You ought to get tired of people quoting bits and pieces of scripture, grabbing this piece and tying it together with that piece in order to make the scripture say something that it does not say when we do that all we're trying to do is conform God to our way of thinking when the exact opposite is supposed to happen we are to conform to God's way of thinking he has shown you O man what is good What does the Lord require of you? Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. God God has shown us over and over and over and over again what it is he expects of us. But to to our shame, we constantly try to conform God to us rather than do the hard work of conforming us to God. He says it, He says the same thing in flip ways. He says, seek good and not evil. And then he says, hate evil and love good. I find that significant. I, I, I don't find that just redundant. I find it significant. He's trying to say, either way you put it, hate is wrong and love is right. Either way you put it, wrong is wrong and right is right doesn't matter whether you put the hate evil before the love good or you put the love good before you put the hate evil either way that's god's expectation of us and if we fail to meet that expectation then there are consequences for that three significant points from here number one Good must be pursued. If you think you just woke up good this morning, that, 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 that just by, by virtue of your presence, you're good, you really think way too much of you. No, goodness must be pursued. You must make the effort to be good because bad is thrown in your face All day long. And the natural response of having bad thrown in your face all day long is that you want to meet it with some bad of your own. You think you bad? Let me show you what bad really looks like goodness must be pursued what does pursue mean you got to run after it you've got to really want it he says that 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 you have to seek good not 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 just expect good to land at your front doorstep you've got to seek it second He says, evil must be rejected. It's in your face all day long. Boy, I got show ears on that one. (laughs) A lot. Evil's in your face all day long. It must be rejected. Don't cuss them out just because they cussed you. Learn the discipline of walking away from evil. You have to, just like you have to pursue goodness, you have to go the other way when you see evil coming. Some folk, we, we, we were talking uh, uh, at, at the noon Bible study about Samson uh, and, and Delilah. And, and one of the interesting things about Samson is that when he met Delilah, Delilah was living in a place called Sardar. And, 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 and the name meant grapes. He, she, he, he, she lived in the Valley of Grapes. Now, that doesn't mean anything to you unless you know something about Samson's story. Samson was a Nazarite, and as a Nazarite, he couldn't have anything that came from the grape, not wine, not eating of grapes, not grape juice, unfermented. He couldn't have anything from the grape. But when he falls in love with Delilah, and when he shacks up with Delilah, because that's what he does, he shacks up with Delilah. Delilah is living in the valley of grapes. Think about that. What Samson was saying was, I can be right in the presence of the grapes. And it's all right because the grapes ain't going to bother me somebody in here, and ain't ain't no whole lot of y'all in here, but somebody in here thinks you can stay right in the presence of evil, and it's all right, because I'm so strong, I'm so big, I'm so bold. I can be right in evil's presence, and evil won't have any impact on me at all. That's what the devil wants you to think. He wants you to think that it's okay to dwell in the place where you are told not to be. I'm, forgive me, because there's some people who were here earlier. I'm going to use the same example because it's a good example. I'm, I, I, I'm a diabetic. I'm not supposed to have certain things anymore. And, 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 and so I'm not supposed to have Bluebell homemade vanilla <laughs> ice cream. I'm not supposed to have it. So I don't go to the market and buy bluebell homemade vanilla and bring it home and put it in the freezer just so i can show myself that i can resist having bluebell homemade. now as i said at noon if somebody just happens to bring me some and, and and puts it in front of me and says Pastor, I had some Bluebell. Here, you want some. That's one thing. That, that, that's you presenting it to me. But I ain't going to the store and buying Bluebell and putting it in the freezer just so I can. <laughs> I'm not going to put it in the freezer, just so I can prove to myself that I don't need no bluebell, that, 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 that I can stay right in the face of bluebell and not eat it. And my wife is in Kansas City, Missouri, too. Ain't nobody else in the house but me. Really? That's crazy. And you're laughing, and yet we do that all the time. We put ourselves right in the presence of evil, and we think we're so big, so strong, so tough, so intelligent, so impervious to the evil, to the temptation, that we can resist it. No. Just as he says, you have to seek good. You have to run from evil. You, 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 if you see evil coming, go the other way and then the third thing he says is that you have to practice justice justice has to be practiced treating people right is a habit that you have to get into just like any other habit for it to for it to become a habit you have to do it with regularity and so you have to make justice a practice providing equal access to everyone, seeking to meet everyone's needs as God presents them to you. That must be our practice. In other words, there must be intentionality. Just as no one just wakes up with the idea of doing good, nobody wakes up with the idea. Of, 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 of being just to everybody. You wake up with the idea of being just to some folk, but not to all folk. In fact, you got a list of folk you ain't gonna be just to. Amen, thank you Jesus. Praise the Lord, he told the truth. It has to be practiced, it has to be a part of who, we are and we have to be consistent in it and 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 Amos says if you do that there is the hope that God will respond to your repentance and give you another chance respond with his mercy that, that's what he says he says maybe God will notice your remnant and be gracious skip down to verse 18 Woe to all of you who want God's judgment day. Why would you want to see God, want him to come? When God comes, it will be bad news before it's good news. Worst of times, not the best of times. Here's what it's like. A man runs from a lion right into the jaws of a bear. A woman goes home after a hard day's work and is raped by a neighbor. At God's coming, we face hard reality, not fantasy. A black cloud with no silver lining. Amos is trying to make it clear. That this idea that with the day of the Lord, with the coming of the Lord, you might think that it's going to be a day of triumph and victory for you. But Amos says it will not be. And it's not because there's any deficiency on God's part. It's because there's been deficiency on your part. You can't continue to do all the low down dirty stuff that you have done. This is Amos talking to them. Remember all that we read earlier? You can't continue to do all the low down dirty stuff that you have done. And then on the back end of it say, and God's going to reward me for that in the end. See, the last thing you want is for God to actually show up. Remember, as Amos writes, this is pre-Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was not available to everyone at all times. You and I live with the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives every day. The Holy Spirit is a present reality. When Amos is talking, the Holy Spirit didn't, the work of the Holy Spirit was not like that. God would appear, and he would do something, and then he would move away. The Holy Spirit appeared in the life of Amos and used Amos to give the prophecy that he gives. And then the Holy Spirit would move away. And under the unction of the Holy Spirit, Amos is saying, I hear y'all talking about, I can't wait for God to show up. Yes, you can. And in fact, you should. Because when he shows up, it ain't going to be a good thing for you. You really don't want the Lord to show up. There is something about us, human nature where we think we know more than we actually know. That's what Amos is essentially. See, y'all think y'all know something. Y'all don't know anything at all. Hundreds of years later, Jesus is confronted by two of his disciples, James and John, who pull him off to the side and say, Lord, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus says, what is it that you're asking? He says, when you come into your kingdom, We want one of us to sit on your right hand and the other to sit on your left. What does Jesus say? You don't know what you're asking. The Apostle Paul tells us in in that passage that you all love, 1 Corinthians 13, though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, but have not charity, I'm sounding brass. and tinkling symbol, though I offer my body to be burned and give all that I have to the poor, but have not charity it profiteth me nothing. Y'all like to read that first part about love is patient and love is kind and love is gentle. Keep on reading through the passage, because the whole passage doesn't just talk about love. Paul shifts gears in the middle of the passage. And he says, now we see through a glass darkly. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know even as I am also known. The point he's making is y'all think y'all know something. Y'all don't really know anything at all. Now, what, what's the end of that argument? The end of that argument is this. Instead of acting on what you don't know, why don't you spend some time acting on what you do know? I, I, I've used this example before, so forgive me if you've heard it before. There's a preacher friend of mine who, who told me that when he would stand at the door to greet uh, his members as they were leaving, one Sunday a man came up to him and, and shook his hand and said, Reverend, I really enjoyed that message. I just wish that it was stuff that I c- could understand and know and use. And the preacher responded to him without missing a beat. Don't worry about the part that you don't know. Act on the part that you know. What's my point? My point is you and I spend all of our time trying to figure out stuff that we don't know. And yet the stuff that we do know, we won't do. You don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring. But you do know what God expects of you today. Right? Right? I know I'm right. I just want to hear you say I'm right. You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. But you do know what God expects of you today. And you're so caught up in what tomorrow might be that you won't do what you're supposed to do right now. You do know that, that, that he expects you to love one another right now. Don't worry about tomorrow. In fact, he said, you don't even know if you're going to have a tomorrow. But you do know what you can do today. You can forgive that person who wronged you today. I got to wait on it. I got to pray about it. I got to think about it. I'm trying to get there. I ain't there yet. Well, you only been thinking about it for 42 years. How, 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 how much longer do you have to think on it? Anybody else tired of waiting to see whether or not Joe Biden's gonna run for, for president? Either say you're gonna run or, 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 or step aside. All this, I'm still thinking about it. I'm still wondering about it. I'm still talking to my family. About just say yeah or no. Well, that's the way the Lord is about us. Quit, 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 quit worrying about all that other stuff, and just do what the what you know, the Lord wants you to do right now. All this stood on it, I'm studying it. No, don't don't study it. Do it. Love, Jesus didn't have to study in order to forgive me. He didn't have to think about it. He recognized that that was his duty, and he was willing to do it. And he expects us to do the same thing. I remind you that when we talk about the Lord, and he talks about love, he doesn't say that our love should be less than his. He says our love should be exactly the same As his, He says, as I have loved you, meaning with the same love that I have shown towards you, my expectation is that you will show that to one another. And I bring that point up because a lot of us like to throw out, well, I ain't the Lord. Yeah, I I know you're not the Lord and I ain't worshiping you as the Lord, but the Lord has an expectation of you. And the expectation is that you love people with the same love that he has shown toward us. Amos says, don't want the Lord to show up so fast. Acknowledge the fact that the Lord not showing up is really good for you. Because it gives you a chance to get right today what you messed up yesterday. Well, keep reading because I got 11 minutes left. I can't stand your religious meetings. I love the way Peterson puts this. I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Don't you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of I want fairness. Rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. Let me say this. And and, and it ain't going to change what what, what, what is. I'm I'm just going to put this out here. One of the great debacles of the church is that We were called to be set apart from the bureaucracy of Judaism. Judaism is is, is a set of bureaucratic rules, regulations, and traditions. And the church was established. Jesus established his church to be set apart from all of that. I ain't got but two rules. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul spends all of his time talking about, I'm not going to subject myself back under the law. If you ever read Galatians, his whole point in Galatians is, these people have been set free from the law, and yet they voluntarily wanted to go back under the law from which they had been set free. The church was established to move us away from bureaucracy. Here's the trouble. We set up our own bureaucracy. And our bureaucracy ain't no better than the bureaucracy that we were supposed to be free from. We get caught up in our our own rules, our own regulations. We get caught up in bylaws and constitutions. Article 1, paragraph 5, line 2. That's what we get caught up. We, we, We have gone about to establish our own bureaucracy. When we were set free from a bureaucracy, here Amos, again, I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with conferences and conventions. What's his point? It's all about you and ain't none of it about me. Go back to what I started with. If you love your choir more than you love the Lord, you got a problem. If you love sitting in one of them seats more than you love serving the Lord, you got a problem. If you love holding your door or holding your aisle, and can't nobody else stand in your aisle but you, more than you love the Lord, you got a problem. If you love your ministry more than you love God, you got a problem. He says, I can't stand it because that ain't about me. That's about you. I can't stand your conventions and your conferences because you come together not to talk about me, not to uplift me, but to talk about you. Say, I don't want to hear y'all singing no more songs because you ain't singing them to me. You're singing them to yourselves. And I'm sick of y'all talking about how we're going to raise money. I've told you what to do. Bring all the tithe. To the storehouse. Do you know that, that 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 in the Christian church, I got six minutes. Y'all, y'all, you be finishing me in six minutes. Do, do you know that in the Christian church, according to to Barna, who who does statistical studies, less than three percent of Christians tithe. Yeah. Less than three, and, and, and if I'm talking about you, I'm talking about you. Less than 3% of Christians tithe. That is, give 10, tithe means 10, but in case you don't know what tithe means, because I hear some people say, I tithe 5%. No, you don't. You can't tithe 5%. You can't 10% 5%. Less than 3% of Christians tithe. But we'll come together to talk about how we're going to raise money for this, and how we're going to raise. And Amos says, speaking on, on God's behalf, I'm tired of your money raising schemes. Money cometh to me. Now, say it with me. Money, come on. High up. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> yes sir. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Amos is making a point. God has a higher expectation of us. The problem with the church of the 21st century is that we have built a whole new bureaucracy. It's the reason why churches split. Churches split because the bureaucracy within one church becomes so stagnating and so stifling that a group says, no, we can't be a part of this bureaucracy no more. We want to worship the Lord freely. And so they pull out and they go somewhere else. And then you know what they do? They form a whole new bureaucracy. The Roman Catholic, you know, everybody thinks it's just Baptist folk that split. The Roman Catholic Church has split 25 different ways. All of it in the name of religious freedom. And in each and every case, they form their own bureaucracy. It's a problem. Because the problem with bureaucracies is that after a while, the bureaucracy stops serving you and you start serving the bureaucracy. The bureaucracy becomes more important than the genuine worship of God. Jesus, why are you letting these people pick grain on the Sabbath? Don't you know that that's against the law? That's against the tradition? And Jesus' response was, don't you know that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath? Part of our problem is, is, is that we get caught up in our own new bureaucracy And we start making the bureaucracy more important than the Lord. And Amos says, God knows what you're doing, sees what you're doing, and says, I'm tired of what you're doing. And if you ain't clear on what it is I want you to do, I want justice, and I want fairness, and that's all I want. That's what he says. I want justice, I want fairness, and that's all I want. You ought to be able to do that. The church ought to be able to do that. Je- Jesus doesn't say, I want justice and finish. Jesus says, I want you to love the Lord, and I want you to love your neighbor. And that's all I want. Which is the greatest commandment? There are actually two. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. On the night before he is crucified in the upper room, he spends chapters talking about love. As I have loved you, so should you love one another. It's clear what he wants. He doesn't want bureaucracy. And if you say, well, everything needs a structure, I agree. Everything does need a structure, but the structure is to serve the love. You ain't supposed to fall in love with the structure. to the point that you can't serve no more because it goes against what the structure says. I got a minute left because that clock is two minutes fast. Didn't you, dear family of Israel, worship me faithfully for 40 years in the wilderness, bringing the sacrifices and offerings I commanded? How is it you've stooped to dragging gimcrack statues, I'm sorry, gimcrack statues of your so-called rulers around, hauling the cheap images of all your star gods here and there. Since you like them so much, you can take them with you when I drive you into exile beyond Damascus. God's message, God of the angel armies. I'll end with this, because my time is up. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, that shall you also reap. There might be somebody here tonight who would want to be a part of God's church. We're going to sing a verse of Just As I Am, and if there's one, we invite you to come. Just as I am Shed for me, and that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. I repeat after me, please. The Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you, and give you peace. Amen.